welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 1, Episode 22, The Assassin. The original air date for this episode was May 7th, 1986. It was directed by Charles Carell, who directed... Every Time She Smiles and Ugly Duckling uh, previous to this, and will go on to direct 19 episodes total, and also the second TV movie, Trail to Doomsday. Oh. And it was written by James Schmierer. This is unfortunately his last outing as a MacGyver writer. It was, it's a good run. It he was a, a good run. Um, he had done, he had a teleplay credit for three scripts, and then he had an episode credit for three. So the teleplays were um, Heist, Hellfire, and Target MacGyver, and then uh, he wrote nightmares every time she smiles and this as far as just full writing right. credit and uh yeah and i think he's sort of semi-retired um after this he came back about 10 years later and did this henson company-esque children's show mm-hmm. called uh, whimsy's house um and they actually ended up getting in kind of a legal battle with the henson company for a little bit but they did 112 episodes of that it aired in bits and pieces on pbs uh mostly in canada i think okay and occasionally in that, parts of America. That's how you avoid the legal battle. Right. You just have to split up the territories. Um, but yeah, and uh, that was basically the end of his uh, his writing credits. Yeah, so why don't we go into a brief description of uh, what this episode's about. In this episode, MacGyver has to foil the plans of an assassin out to kill the archbishop of an unknown uh, Central or South American country. Right. Um, and this is, he feels like sort of a precursor to Murdoch a little bit. Oh, absolutely. With all like the bag of tricks, the disguises. Yeah. It, it's, it's almost like they were sorry they killed him off because they had such a great, it's like, oh man, this guy's great. We should have had him escape or something. Yeah. Uh, and so I imagine, yeah, that's where they invented the character of Murdoch. And they probably learned from, from this mistake that all they had to do was kill the character in a way that he could that the body was never discovered yeah exactly <laughs> because like, uh, like like falling off a mountain or yeah. into a lake of boiling water or down a mine shaft <laughs> yeah. or any number of things um but yeah so uh we start out basically with a sort of a cold open type situation of um this woman is uh, packing a bag in her apartment at the at the melrose arms yeah melrose arms now did you get the impression that she was packing to escape or was she oh maybe she thought she was in danger yeah that's possible although i think she would have called her sister before she left if that was the plan maybe mm-hmm. maybe she was packing first and she would call her from the road uh, but yeah it does it does seem like she's packing with some kind of urgency it's yeah. late at night and uh she is in her room where, where there's kind of an interesting direction to this work um credit to charles Carell here the camera is like in her living room which is dark and mm-hmm. her bedroom is lit and we're just looking through the doorway as she's packing and slowly approaching the doorway yeah um, she, she's moving back and forth out of the frame of the door right so you don't always see her she's just moving around and, the, and all the while is just getting closer and yeah. closer it's got this like creepy voyeuristic type of uh, yeah. mood to it and uh it becomes clear that this is because she's she's being watched and approached by Piedra, mm-hmm. um, or Mr. Gray. He goes by yeah. a number of, of different names here. Um, Mr. Gray to the ladies. <laughs> right. Mr. Gray if you're nasty. And uh, <laughs> she comes out of the room, and uh, immediately he sets on her with a giant, like, hunting knife. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, 
I, I, I had a feeling she was probably going to die. Yeah. But uh, you know, it, not as brutally as that. Yeah. You, you think most of the, most of the time people get off in these shows, they especially if it's a woman. No, not to be sexist, but they usually like strangle them or smother them. Yeah. Not not just full not on a full on chest stabbing. Yeah. Um, which I mean, we don't really see the chest stabbing, but it's very clearly implied. Right. He, he brandishes this knife in front of her face to just let her know what he's about to do to her, and then he brings it down like he's going to stab her in the chest. Cut to symbolic, like key entering a keyhole, like yeah. like, like the knife stabbing her in the chest. As uh, oddly as, enough, like repeated jabs into yeah. the keyhole. <laughs> um, yeah, and blood's just spurting out of this keyhole. <laughs> Um, and uh, it's Lila's sister is showing up, mm-hmm. and her sister's name is Terry. Terry, um, and she opens the door to find her sister Lila collapsed in the middle of the living room mm-hmm. and bleeding to death. Apparently, yeah. I don't know if she came in in the middle of the act or if Pedro left her there because he knew that he'd stabbed her enough that she would die. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I assume that he's left, but she's just barely clinging to life. She, yeah. She she gives her, like just her dying little speech of I'm sorry. Yeah, you were right. I shouldn't. I should have known better, and I should have quit, like you said. And and then she dies in her sister's arms. And then uh, we cut to a stakeout that's happening mm-hmm. outside of uh, French's fine, fine watches. watches. And, I, I uh, always think of <laughs> mustard. French's <laughs> fine mustard and watches. Across the street from French's fine watches. Pete waits in a car with the new Carlisle, whose mm-hmm. name is Connors. Connors. Um, and at first, I didn't realize why this wasn't Carlisle, since we've seen Carlisle. He's an established assistant yeah. of Pete's. Um, it becomes clearer later in the episode why they didn't use Carlisle, but then becomes unclearer, as I'll explain when we get <laughs> to that point. In speaking with Connors, he says, and talking to MacGyver over right. an intercom, he says, that this Piedra character that they're doing the stakeout for is responsible for 14 assassinations in eight different countries. MacGyver is inside the watch store, uh, posing as the owner of the store, right. um, who they have in custody they're trying to get information from. Right, but he's not talking, so right. MacGyver's having to wing it. Right, uh, but they at least have as much information as they know Piedra intends to go there today. He needs a timing device to use on uh, some kind of an explosive. Mm-hmm. And so MacGyver is there posing as as the watch store owner, um, waiting which, for Piedra. Which is curious to 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 wonder what Piedra's original plan was then, like where he planned to to detonate something. Because obviously right, that's he, true. he's forced to improvise his assassination. Yeah. Uh, as a result of this, but I'm kind of curious as to what his original plan was. Sure. Yeah. So Piedra ends up. Uh, we we see um, a, a man walking down the sidewalk with a kid. And uh, Connors points him out to Pete, and it, like, is this Piedra? This could be Piedra. Yeah. And uh, Pete says, no, he doesn't have any kids that we know of. As far as we know, Piedra doesn't have a family. Which, I mean, that you know of, so... Yeah, exactly. It's like, really... anyone who's going into this suspicious watch factory, or watchmaker, you know, I would be to say, anyone who goes in there, really, is, is, is a suspect. Is a suspect, yeah. We should be inspecting all of these people pretty closely. Um, the actor playing Piedra here is uh, Anthony DeLongis, who... Will actually come back to reprise the role of the villain from Thief of Budapest. The one who swore revenge against MacGyver. Right, uh, Nikolai Kosov. Um, so he'll come back for the first two episodes of season three. Um, Such a long wait for for that payoff. Yeah. Because no one's gonna remember unless they, and they can't really intercut the original episode because it would show that it was a different actor. Yeah, 
And I wonder what Bruce Abbott was doing that they couldn't bring him back. I mean, like, I appreciate them bringing back Anthony DeLongis because he does an awesome job in this episode. Yeah. But I don't think Bruce Abbott did a bad job. And unless there was, like, another reanimator sequel shooting, like, right at the same time, I don't right. know why they couldn't have just used him for it. But, yeah, so uh, he enters the shop with this kid. And uh, it seems like it's a father and son mm-hmm. that are going into the watch shop. And he basically promised his son that he could have any watch he yeah. wanted. And so the kid goes in and he's like, oh, really? I could have anything? And he's and he's looking at all the watches. And it seems like uh, Pietro's like, watching MacGyver to see, like, how is this guy? Does he seem to know anything about watches? This, mm-hmm. this kid is looking through stuff. Um, and then we cut to terry's beginning yeah. her investigation right she's she's already gotten an interview and signed up to be part of the high-end clientele prostitution or call, yeah, call. escort service yeah escort, yeah i mean she and and the the madam uh, i guess would be who's in charge says they, they must have talked before because apparently uh, I, I think maybe the the madam that that runs the place um, has heard from Lila that oh my sister's trying to convince me not to work here anymore. Yeah. Or, I've been having I've been having second thoughts about working here, and my sister's made a lot of good points. Mm-hmm. And so the the conversation basically opens with like we hear this madam say, "Honey, you know what kind of escort business I run, and do you want to be sent out on a date?" But it's just a weird way to ask the question. Like the question doesn't really start with the word "and." Like it seems like the line maybe in the script was. And do you want to be set up on a date? Like, you were trying to convince her to quit. And do you want to be set up on a date? But it would be so easy to fix it in editing. Yeah. Like, watch, I'll do it right now. Honey, you know what kind of escort business I run. And do you want to be sent out on a date? See, like, all you had to do was take the word do out <laughs> and just hide it with a cut. And then, poof, it sounds like it sounds, a yeah. reasonable question. Um, but as a result, I, I mean, maybe she's she literally said do in every single take. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, well, that's the line, so I guess we'll put it in there. But I, right. I find it hard to believe that that's how it was written in the script, just because it's such an awkwardly worded sentence. Yeah. But um, so yeah, she, this woman, uh, doesn't seem to realize that every time this same client hires an escort, that they, they, they end get, up missing. Yeah, it's it's very strange, and and just the fact that Terry is saying, I want to be fi- I want to be set up with the same person. It's like, well. That's like, not how this works. They call us. Yeah, exactly. And like they ask for a girl. We, like, we, we, we don't, don't, we don't cold, call the client and cold say, call them. by the way, do you want a lady? <laughs> um, yeah. And and the fact that they keep this client on file, despite the fact that every call girl he gets ends up getting killed. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's also very unclear. I mean, there's always the problem of, like, how is DXS related to the local government in terms of, like, law enforcement? Because... Did Terry report her sister's murder? Oh, or, well, like, well, I'm sure that. Well, oh, okay, but yeah, because she may not have. Because if she, if she did, then it just seems like there would be police investigating this. They would be able to communicate to DXS. This woman was murdered. She, A call girl. And, and her sister reported it, found the body, and you know we're in talks with her to figure things out. But now this woman is like. The, the the murdered lady's employee doesn't know that she's dead. Mm-hmm. And now her sister's just signing up to work there, too. And none of this information is being communicated back to yeah, TXS. Yeah, because it, it seems like the madam had no idea that the sister was dead. Yeah. Like, because because she's not saying, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, or yeah. why would you want to do this after your sister's death, or maybe you yeah, should take yeah. some time. Like, it's just like, oh, welcome aboard. 
Yeah, we're so glad to have you. And it's like maybe this is just like the very next morning and she literally hasn't even mm-hmm. found out yet, but it just it still seems strange that somehow DXS already knows but this woman right conceivably would be waiting on, you know, signing her up for another date doesn't know anything about it. But so she wants to know the name of the client, her sister's last client basically. Right. And um even though she was killed in her home, I mean conceivably it wouldn't even have been a client. But 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 we know that Piedra's mo is to kill we call know, girls. But Terry doesn't. No no but but I mean as far as like, when I say we I guess I mean the Pete and right. MacGyver. So if there's a report of a known call girl who was killed, that'd be interesting. Well, that's Piedra's mo. Sure yeah. We yeah. know Piedra's in town. Something must be going on. Yeah, but Terry doesn't necessarily know that that's the true. client had anything to do with her sister's yeah. murder. But um. She basically coerces the madam into giving her the information by paying up front to join yeah. the company as a call girl. And and the the madam just says like, you know, I, I don't I never saw him, I only talked to him on the phone. But his and, name is Smith. Yeah, C W Smith. And here's the weird thing about this episode so far. And well it, it'll continue, but everyone's just giving their names. Right. Like this yeah. guy calls with his real name. Well when she says I've never met him before, I only talked to him over the phone. His name was Smith. Then I was like, Oh, okay, so he's just using like a fake name right. so that he can order the call girl to do the work and then she's like C.W. Smith and I was like that's a little weirdly specific and then yeah. later on oh his name actually is C.W. Smith yeah it's, that's strange it's very strange and then when Terry calls later she says my name's Terry it's like yeah. you should probably use a fake name too yeah I mean just just throwing that out there but um, people are too honest in the MacGyver universe, yeah. even the criminals. Well, it's it's a typical spy thing, you know, the Bond, James Bond. Just go ahead and tell everybody who you are, even if you're working on the yeah. cover. You're more infamous. <laughs> but yeah, so then we move back to the watch shop. Um, the kid picks out a $40 watch. Um, Forty-two fifty. Well. <laughs> but they're running a special. Yeah, they're running a special, yeah. so. Call oh, it 40 even. They're running a special. Hey, thanks. The MacGyver is so cavalier with other people's property. Yeah. It's just like... I, and I wonder if he's actually just guessing at the price of this watch. Well, I wonder if he's just pocketing the money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we don't see where that cash goes, and he gives it to the kid. And the kid's so appreciative of the special, yeah. despite the fact that he's not paying for the watch at all. Right. And he doesn't even know the guy who is. Mm-hmm. Seems like like the weirdest like child abduction scam in the world. Like, hey, kid, you want me to buy you a watch? Sure, mister. <laughs> I'll follow you into this watch shop. Um, we'll just wait for old Zed to get here. Yeah, <laughs> Zed's dead, baby. So the kid leaves, and uh, Connors notices from across the street that the kid came out by himself, mm. and brings it to Pete's attention, who's equally curious. Inside the watch shop, basically Piedra lets it lets MacGyver know I'm here looking for a device, a timing right. device, and MacGyver says, "Yeah, I knew you were coming. Um, let me just take a look at uh, some of my material." Because MacGyver, um, while he's been in this watch shop, found the like hidden compartment in the back mm-hmm. of a drawer where all these specialized explosive and incendiary timers were. And he asks him specifically if he's looking for explosive or incendiary, at which point Pete is officially tipped off that this is Piedra. Right. And we need to start making a move. Right. Um, and, and Piedra seems either suspicious of MacGyver or, I think Ian, you said, just he just cleans up after himself. He doesn't leave anyone... Anyone who sees him is is yeah. is taken out. It's, yeah. it's so Javier the, Bardem in no country. Yeah, exactly. The same logic that goes into killing all the escorts uh, requires him to kill this watchmaker person. Right. Um, even though conceivably he would need this person again in the future. Yeah, it's like you're kind of eliminating your options. 
I mean, escorts, you know, they they can replace those. <laughs> like, the right, girls right. are signing up every day right after their sisters get murdered. But you, you think also, though, because obviously this is all going through intermediaries. Like, the, this, this watchmaker was set up probably also by Smith. Yeah. Like, when you get to town, go see this guy. He's going to have the materials you need. But if you keep a limit, please don't kill him because we use him for other business. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> just people would start going, "Oh, oh Pedro's coming in to hire me for something." It's like the um, uh, in uh, the Man with the Golden Gun. Sure. When they go see Lazar. Yeah. And it's like you know, all the criminals know who him and they use him, and he's still still alive yeah. because he's a useful person, and you don't want to eliminate him even if he's seen your face. Yeah. Um, Which is why it's actually really lucky for that watchmaker that he was detained by DXS yeah. in the first place. <laughs> he saved his life. <laughs> um. But yeah, so MacGyver says basically that he needs to like change the settings on the on the timer to to the exact specifications that Pietro's looking for, and while he's making the adjustments, he notices um, in the reflection of a grandfather clock's like window pane mm-hmm. that Pietro's pulling like garrote. He's got a garrote that he's pulling out of his watch, and uh, and instead of staying where he is, relatively safe across the room from right. the entrance, he puts his head right next to the curtain. Piedra is like Lurking getting ready around. to choke yeah. him to death, and uh, of course it gets looped around his neck. MacGyver doesn't even get a hand inside of it. Yeah. And then they move into this insanely vicious fight mm-hmm. for this show. Like this is probably the coolest like one-on-one fight that we've seen so far. They're, they're throwing them so they're throwing each other into like glass cabinets and yeah. clocks. And... It definitely reminds me of the Robert Shaw and Sean Connery fight on the train in yeah. uh, from Russia with Love. Um, in that it looks like these two people are trying to kill each other. It's all like real tight angle, like super close up on everybody. And a lot of cool weapons come out over the course of this fight. Yeah, Pedro reaches into like just his like collar of his and pulls out like a, a throwing knife yeah. right away. And my guy ever just happens to grab like this mallet. Yeah, it's like a wooden mallet. <laughs> And, uh, Which is perfect for working on finely tuned watches. Yeah. <laughs> just, no, that's just... what you. That's for like the broken watches. It's like the Captain Hook's watch shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so he throws this uh, this knife at MacGyver, and we get this like reversed shot where mm-hmm. it's like they probably had the knife stabbed into the mallet and then yanked it out with a string and then just played in reverse, so it looks like he's throwing the knife yeah. and it stabs into the mallet. Um, Makes MacGyver look awesome though. Yeah, like just like <laughs> whack. Got but he it. just happens to catch it like that. And then he pulls out this awesome, like, extending rod thing that kind of looks like a sigh yeah, it's the got, handle. Yeah, it's got, it's got, but it's got one turned down yeah. and one turned up. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Cactus character from the Final Fantasy games. <laughs> where he's, like, always walking like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's got this extender rod up on the top, and it just looks like a clubbing rod. Like, he's just going to beat the crap out of a guy for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then uh, they throw each other around this room a lot. They break a lot of glass. And then uh, finally, basically, Pietro gets MacGyver pinned against the corner of the room. And he's got these, these two, butterfly like, knives, yeah, these yeah. butterfly knives that he's just flipping around and, like, showing off his knife skills. And right when he's about to finish MacGyver off, MacGyver goes, I give up. Like, <laughs> is that going to, are we even like now? Uncle, you, like, Uncle, yeah. like, tapping out. Um, and this is when Pete busts through and... and uh, cracks Pietro in the back of the head, uh, barely even touches him, and yeah. goes unconscious instantly. Pete has that ability, though. Yeah, Pete, Pete's, Pete's, he's a bit, you know, honestly, like, you, you could say that Dane Elkar was, like, heavy set, obviously. Sure. But I'm sure he's got some strength to him. He's like the kingpin. Yeah, but it almost feels like Vulcan 
Esque, the yeah. way he's able to like knock people unconscious without any effort at all. You, you have a lot of practice in hitting people with the back of your gun. He, yeah, he knows you the, know the pressure points. Spot. Yeah, um, but so uh, and then as Pietro is like going unconscious, his eyes are kind of rolling back in his head, but he's falling toward MacGyver with these butterfly knives out, <laughs> and MacGyver's kind of like ah, and like kind of rolls away and deflects Pietro's unconscious body before it like stabs him anyway and then uh we kind of move to this hotel room where we see the awesome collection of weapons that they took off oh yeah it's it's just a pot it's it's like he must have been walking around so awkwardly like yeah it would be really uncomfortable i i I like to imagine that as he's walking around it sounds like he's like carrying a whole bunch of keys it's like (laughs) (laughs) just sounds like he's wearing chain mail (laughs) um but one of the weapons just looks like a regular like bic pen Mm -hmm. and uh, macgyver picks it up and uh, he assumes that it, it doubles as some kind of a weapon. Right. Everything else on this table is a weapon except for this pen. And uh, he basically finds a trigger along the side of it, and it fires this this Karari dart. Um, and Karari is like this a, a poisonous plant extract. Right. It it, it causes paralysis in muscles, and and over you know generally like the the general like term like for as far as a movie trope because it is it does really work yeah but like is like you know they shoot you with it and it'll either do two things it'll either paralyze you but leave you alive so that they can someone can capture you or an overdose which paralyzes everything including your diaphragm which doesn't allow you to inhale right and so you just you just asphyxiate yeah as a result and luckily for MacGyver, it fires the direction he suspects it does because otherwise this would have been launched directly into <laughs> right? his chest yeah <laughs> And it, and it hits the wall pretty close to Pete, too. But, yeah, so this is, um, again, uh, James Schmierer, who wrote this episode, also wrote Target MacGyver, which has the, the whole uh, Urtica um, mm-hmm. thing, the other plant extract that has a paralysis function. Right. So it must be just a hobby of James's. <laughs> um, He's always studying ways to paralyze people with plants. And uh, He's the poison ivy. Yeah, and Pete makes the point. Some, somehow they're able to tell from just the... the end of the cartridge sticking out of the wall that this is Karari, even though they haven't done any kind of a test on it. They just assume that's what's on this dart. Yeah, I mean, I, like, MacGyver asks, yeah, like, he says, like, Karari? Karari? And, and, like, what else would you put on a dart? Like, that would be the only possible yeah. thing you could put I on mean, a dart? I, could, I guess it could be, like, like, cyanide or arsenic or something like that, but I don't I don't know how fast-acting those are. Yeah, and then Pete says that a Karari derivative was used to kill a government minister in Central America. Um, so they're assuming that that must have been one of his jobs, but uh, Piedra's reluctant to confirm that. Yeah. Um, um, d- during during this time, though, we're also intercutting with Terry doing more. Like she's she's got she's got the date scheduled now with Piedra. Right. Uh, she gets the call from from the madam saying that she has to meet with him at two o'clock. Yeah. And in the, the same day. <laughs> yeah. It's very quick. Um, but we also get like this wonderful like where she's prepping herself with makeup and she's just like staring empty eyes into mirrors as she's applying makeup. Yeah. Like just she is just she's gone. She is totally she's gone. She's just a shell of a person just yeah. getting ready to murder. And it's it's just such it's just so great because she's got all these mirrors, even like a small one on the on the table angled toward her. So you're just getting her her face from all these different uh, points of view. Yeah. But her eyes are just so big, and they're not staring at anything. It's a thousand-yard stare. Yeah. It, it, they they really got her to just look into the medium distance. <laughs> yeah. And we, we come back to uh, the hotel, and MacGyver is uh, going through some of the other uh, items that they took off of 
Piedra and he finds this toothpaste, um, which is like an explosive mm-hmm. somehow. Um, it's basically he squirts a bit of it on his finger and then he throws it at the ground and it just kind of pops with yeah. a spark. It's basically the same effect we've seen previously for um, the nitroglycerin in Hellfire, and it looks not unlike the phosphorus powder from Countdown when he yeah. throws it next to the next to the bomb. And then, and then now he, after all this, they ask about the watch. Yeah, he he looks he sees a Piedra's watch on his wrist, and then he turns to Pete and says, "Hey, anybody check the watch?" It's like, oh, the one he almost killed you with? No, not yet. <laughs> why? Why would it, why would we've looked at that at all? So MacGyver pulls it off. Um, and he sees that the time is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's a digital face. Right. It's a digital face. And it says 1.24 a.m. Yeah, something like that. It's, it's, it's still counting up. Oh, it is. It is, it is functioning. It is okay. a functioning watch, but it's set to the incorrect time. But yeah, he says, so did you forget to set your watch? And he assumes that the reason that it's wrong is because the battery's dead. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't make sense because it wouldn't even have numbers on it if the battery were dead. Right, right. But he opens up the back of it, and it's just full of plastic. There is no battery. So mm-hmm. it shouldn't even function at exactly. all as a watch. Unless, like you said, plastic has the same <laughs> yeah. potato power of, of functioning like... as a battery. Because well, there, you know, there are wires to it, but I imagine that's to, like, if you go to, like, the, like, the countdown or timer function on the watch. that To you would set just... the explosive off. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how you would or set it off. Or start the timer, yeah. Um, but Pete thinks that this is enough plastic to blast this way out of a cell if he needed yeah. to. Yeah. Um, which they probably wouldn't leave his watch on. They don't. They generally take your belongings when they put you in a cell. Yeah. Like it, it, that's just procedure. Right. But as they're looking at this watch, suddenly they hear a phone ringing from across the room. Their first assumption is that it's the phone in the hotel room. Right. They pick up the receiver and they're still hearing a ring. And then MacGyver realizes there's this briefcase that's like electrical taped underneath. Yeah, the it's desk. like it's not even hidden. Yeah. It's just dangling. Like there's from a tape. closet right there. They could have just put it in, or mm-hmm. maybe one of the drawers of the desk, but. Um, it's hard to hide a phone that you expect to ring. Yeah. Um, and they take their time answering it because this phone rings about eleven times um, before they finally get it off the nice. receiver, and it's all chrome plated inside. It's like a briefcase mm-hmm. with this scrambler. this like Bunch really of high tech looking phone with all these switches that are like scrambling to keep from tracing anything. Yeah. And and I can only imagine Smith on the other line just like sitting there waiting with the ring. Come on, pick up. How many times is this gonna ring? I'm not leaving him another message. <laughs> well, a lot of times this is in before, you know, obviously this is before digital voicemail. And so this is like, you'd be, if there's not an answering machine, it'll just yeah. keep ringing forever. Yeah. So he gets on the phone with uh, C.W. Smith, uh, General C.W. Smith. Yeah, General C.W. Smith. And, uh, and Smith asks him what time it is. And he says, or he asks him if he has the time. Yeah. MacGyver calls Pete for the watch. And uh, yeah, it, reads it, the time that it that it currently says, which is one twenty four a.m. Because, like you said, it's still running. It's so still running, yeah. And, and they the, must it, have watches synced exactly as at code. Smith's office, um, which I think is awesome. Yeah, it's it's I, a it, it's a cool trick to make sure that you're talking to the right person. Mm-hmm. So now that he's proven that he is Piedra, mm-hmm. as as far as like their whole code goes, he gives MacGyver the information that. Um, we're going to make the drop at our whole Holy Father Cemetery, which could be Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's for sure a Los Angeles cemetery, but the, because the palm trees and everything kind of give it away. Right, in, right. In that sense. 
but um, it looks like it's an actual cemetery. It doesn't look like it's it's all facade. Although some of them look like they could be facades. Uh, but that mausoleum kind of one, the bigger structure. Yeah, yeah. That's that's too much. Uh, that's the one pretty where elaborate. we see him set the briefcase down at definitely looks real. But so yeah, so he tells him at three o'clock we're going to put the money outside our Holy Father Cemetery. So at two o'clock he has a date with terry with terry at three o'clock he's getting the money at four o'clock this assassination is supposed to go down it's a very very short quick timetable it's a very efficient assassination so he gets the phone call at two o'clock from terry Mm -hmm. who like you said just announces their name hey my name's terry terry yeah i'm I'm a friend of mr smith's i was told to call you um and so he meets up with terry and uh she brought a car with her yeah she also brought a gun which we he doesn't know that yet, but yeah. she. We saw her taking some time to load because, a as gun. far as she knows, this is Piedra, who mm-hmm. who stabbed her sister to death. And right. So her intention is to follow him until she finds a, a good moment to just shoot him. Right, and also it's important to note that Smith is making the drop personally. Also a bad move. Yeah. For for this, especially guy. since he has henchmen. Yeah, um, and 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 so as soon as he walks out of the building, he's spotted by. Emilio, who's the head, who will we'll discover is the head of the Archbishop's, the, the Archbishop's security, security detail. And he's like, oh, you know, someone even says, oh, there's General Smith. So they suspect this guy already. Yeah. And they know They're that, not involving local law enforcement in preventing yeah, this assassination it's like It's like, it, I don't want to say like they're Vatican police, um, but because I don't know if Vatican police would protect an Archbishop. That's pretty... Is an Archbishop below a bishop or above a bishop? Um, well, an arch is above a thing, right? So right. An archbishop will be above a bishop. <laughs> Flawless. That's my logic. Flawless logic. Um, <laughs> um, or is it like an arch nemesis? Oh, that's the opposite of a bishop. <laughs> is that what an arch nemesis is? Because your nemesis and your arch nemesis are the same thing, aren't they? Is your arch nemesis yourself? No, your arch nemesis is like your ultimate nemesis. Okay, so then it's like an ultimate bishop. Okay. So that's what we're deciding now. <laughs> the blasphemy that's going on right now is amazing. But um, so this archbishop isn't from America, right? Correct. He's from Central America. Yeah. So it's probably his own security detail from back home, and they okay. don't even trust local law enforcement, maybe. So that's why they're just, we're going to handle this ourselves. So we're pretty good security people. But somehow they got wind of this plot. I mean, right. like, they must have some kind of informant They've probably system. been on the lookout since that other Central American government minister was assassinated mm. with Karari recently or a Karari derivative yeah Karari derivative <laughs> um, it's got to be accurate here so MacGyver gets in a car with this girl and her gun and he tells her to drive and he's going to tell her where they're going mm-hmm. as they go you know he has flowers but you know they're they're for right, her to, right, to before fake before they even get in the car yeah, yeah. He, he like they're but you know that those obviously are going to be to like fake pretend to place down at the cemetery um, but she asks if we get separated, what what do I do? Because they're because he says that she's going to go on alone to to pick something up and bring it back, and she's worried that if they get separated, so he so he gives her the hotel the key. hotel key to Piedra's hotel room still right, um, and uh, and that will come into play later as to how Emilio tracks them down. But uh, they get to the cemetery. And, you know, they, they find the briefcase, briefcase were, but Emilio is watching from a distance with his guys, and MacGyver is watching from a distance, making sure that Terry is okay. And that's when, like, kind of, like, the three 
kind of now are aware of each other. Right. Because as Terry's walking away, Emilio and her, his men are chasing her down. And she's kind of looking over her shoulder. She knows there's people after her. Right. But she gets into the car with who she thinks is Piedra. Mm-hmm. And then her and MacGyver skid off while these people chase them in a car. Yeah. And we get, like, just a really short car chase. And MacGyver does this... It's kind of... It's a cool move, but it's it's all too convenient. Yeah. Because he pulls up to the exit of a driveway with spike strips. Like, you know, that face. So they're facing the wrong way. And MacGyver just happens to find a big 2x4 to place in front of it. And he, and he also places it in the way that I wouldn't have placed it. He places it flat. I would have Instead placed it... Instead of on top of the spikes? Well, no. He should have put it... It's a 2x4, but he places it... With the, the width yeah, down. Yeah, two inches high instead of four inches high. Yeah, I would have put it with the four inches high, so it, at least as the tire rolls over it, it's rolling over the spikes. Yeah, yeah. It's still rolling on the spikes. But don't the, I mean, like, the general purpose of those is that when you're driving from the opposite direction, you're pushing the spikes down with the weight of your car. Correct. So, I just feel like, if it looks like it's a metal thing, not just a two by four. I can't really tell, yeah, but it makes sure metal it. sounds when he's dragging it on the... Yeah. On the ground. But it just seems like he could have laid it over the spikes even. Mm-hmm. And that it would have pushed them down the same way that a yeah. car does. Maybe not. But um, either way, they use it to bypass the spike strip. And uh, then MacGyver pulls the bar out and just tosses it into the parking lot. Right. Like it's a giant javelin. <laughs> it's a good throw. Yeah. And I guess because uh, he doesn't want them to do the same thing. Right. So, so it needs to be far enough away that they couldn't possibly get to it. Um and then uh, they come skidding into the parking lot, don't even seem to notice the spike strip or the warning signs. Right. Maybe they're still not fluent English readers if mm-hmm. they are fluent English speakers. And um, there's a few weird camera angles here. The yeah. first, it looks to me like in the wide angle, they pull completely over the spike strip with the front tires and stop with their back tires on the spikes. Then we go to a close-up of the front tire deflated on the spike strip. So right. Either all four tires are popped or just the first two tires are popped. Mm-hmm. Then the guys get out of the car to see what happened, and we get another close-up of the front set of tires, but now it's not even on a spike strip, right. and it's deflated. It's just over the asphalt. I, I, think, I think it's just a bad set of continuity editing. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they couldn't block the opening to the parking lot for, for long for, enough. For long, yeah. or I don't know. I just Or maybe they just had to get... Um, the shot of the deflated tire later, like they wanted mm-hmm. another insert. Because well, the lighting looks all weird too. Yeah, like the the car almost looks like a different car because it seems so much darker. I also wondered if maybe the reason for it was that they had the wrong license plate compared to the one that MacGyver mentions on the phone call. Oh, okay. Later. And so, because in the second insert, you can clearly see the license plate of Peter Jackson Peter <laughs> and uh, five eight six and. Uh, <laughs> And so they uh, they pull out of the parking lot, um, and they had this is when MacGyver and and uh, Terry head back to the hotel, right? Because they've successfully avoided the Archbishop's security people, right? Um, uh, during that spike strip, strip encounter, because MacGyver's driving, he gets out, and Terry slides right. over to the to the driver's seat, but right. her purse falls out, and all the stuff falls out of it, and she grabs the purse, but she the only thing else that she feels necessary to grab. Is, is the, the gun, gun. Which, when she picks up her purse, the gun falls out, so she leans over to grab the gun right before she leans back into the car, doesn't realize she's also dropped a couple other things, including the key to the hotel room. Correct. So, and it's a fancy hotel with a with a standard, you know, it's not an electronic lock. Right. And it's probably got the name of the hotel and stuff on the keys yeah. and everything, so it was very easy for Emilio to track him down. Uh, and so they go back to the hotel, 
using presumably MacGyver's key yeah. to get in. He's uh, starting to do his research, and he goes to call DXS to basically fill them in on what's going on. So he has this briefcase full of money now that they collected from the cemetery, mm-hmm. and he has the briefcase with the phone in it. And I, I wasn't clear which briefcase he's pulling the information out of, but one right. of the two briefcases has what's supposed to look like a newspaper article, but right. it's printed on like an 8.5 by 11 yeah, piece of paper. Yeah, it's like a photocopy... But yeah. it's too clean to be a photocopy. Yeah, so it's clearly just came fresh out of a printer. Yeah. But um, but it basically details that the archbishop is going to be making a speech at this church at 4 o'clock. And so MacGyver realizes, okay, this is the target. But if that information was in the briefcase with the money, then Pietro shouldn't know who the target is. Exactly. But if it was in the briefcase with the phone, then he could possibly have known. Right. But I'm, I don't remember which one it comes out of. Yeah, it's it's. I'm not really 100%. And and either way, his initial plan was to set some kind of explosive. Right. And so now he's going to have to. Well, right now he's he's working on his escape plan. And he needed an explosive that was accurate within like hundredths of a second for. Some yeah, reason. exactly. Like like he was like he needed to make sure he was exactly a split second away from the explosion. Yeah. So uh, MacGyver calls up DXS. He gives them. I think this is the first time we're hearing his his official agent number. Of DX5. Which is DX5. Because he uses it twice in this episode. He does, yeah. Um, so he calls and he says, DX5 extension 5620, which I guess is Pete's extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connors ends up answering because Pete is away. Right. And Connors says, um, he's not here right now. And MacGyver says, so I figured out who the target is, and I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> instead of making a move now. Yeah, instead of increasing the security detail for a person who might have multiple assassins on his tail yeah i'm just gonna tell you i know exactly who they were gonna kill i'll explain all of it later it takes too long to say archbishop fiero yeah <laughs> which is so frustrating just tell them the target macgyver no no it doesn't work then because then they don't know and then uh and then he gives him the license plate number of this car that was chasing them because they're still not clear on who these people were that mm-hmm. were chasing them from the cemetery um, so he says, uh, Peter, Peter Jackson, Jackson, Peter, Peter 586. Um, and that never comes back. Yeah, the they never actually look it up. Like, it never follows, the they never follow through with that piece of plot information. But then we move into the room where, where Connors is staying. Mm-hmm. It's like a house. Yeah. Instead of taking Pietro to a jail cell, they took him to what looks like a home that's been converted into like a private police station. Right. There's there's a very... special sec- criminals. Or yeah, something. there's a very secure cell room with an electronic lock to open just a standard door. And then there's another set of prison bar style right. doors on the other side. And it's feeding time. So they're bringing, um, Piedra, his waste of taxpayer meal, which <laughs> is like peas 20 and peas bread. and a piece of, yeah. A, and a cup of water. Yeah. There's just, there's <laughs> a like, tiny Dixie cup of water. There's no way this meal costs 50 cents. Yeah. And it's, and, uh, still a waste. It really, yeah. According it's still to a waste. the agents of the DXS, that's a waste of taxpayer money. But the the velvet wallpaper for this house wasn't. Um, <laughs> Pete's got very good taste. Right, he designed all this himself. Um, so they go in to uh, to feed Piedra, and uh, when they leave, we're in the cell with Piedra, and he starts MacGyvering. On yeah. His own. Oh, it's it's crazy weird. Um, it's not exactly what he found along the way, but. Uh, He's prepped this stuff in advance, but we're getting insert shots that could very easily have been in the intro sequence to a MacGyver episode. But yeah. It's it's the arch nemesis doing it this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
And so the first thing he does is pulls off this mustache. Right. That has kind of looked fake the whole time, but it was mm-hmm. the 80s, so everyone's mustache looked fake for right. some reason. Um, he takes off the mustache, and it has these two wires in it, which he winds together mm-hmm. to strengthen the wire. Um, and then he bends it into, like, an L so yeah. that he can pick the lock on his handcuffs. Right. Um, step two is now that his handcuffs are undone, he goes and unbuttons his shirt and pulls off a scar on his chest. Mm-hmm. Which was hiding a needle. Yeah, another another curari dart. Yeah, another curari tipped needle. Which he seems to have like four or five of these. Yeah, because he's gonna have he's gonna he's gonna have two more later. Right. So he's got. So he, he, there must be more scars on him. Yeah. That he's not bothering with right now. But um, what they've given him was enough for him to make a blow dart mm-hmm. for this uh, for this needle. Yeah, he uses a pea as a stabilizer. And yeah, he tears up his Dixie cup to use as a as a blow gun. Yeah, so he he rolls it up into a tube, and then he jams the needle into a pea and jams the needle and pea into this tube, so that um, he can start banging on the door. Mm-hmm. When Connors goes to check on him, he says, "What do you want?" And he's like, "I want out." And, and, then, he, and then he yeah he uh, blows this pea through the tube and poisons Connors to death. Yeah. Connors dies out. But but it's 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 such a quick move that Connors doesn't have time to collapse because Pedro grabs him and holds him up because the one the noise of his fall would probably alert the other guys. Right. But he also like needs to grabs his gun, grabs his keys. Yeah, he needs to get the keys to the cell. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's that's the end of Connors, which is probably why Carlisle didn't play the part in this episode. Right. Cuz Carlisle, yeah. I feel like it would have added a degree of seriousness to the death. Mm-hmm. if it was Carlisle that played this part, because Carlisle doesn't appear in the rest of the series anyway. Yeah. I mean, maybe they didn't know that at the time. Yeah, and, and but, I mean, yeah, maybe they just didn't want to kill Carlisle just in case. Because they were like, what if we use him again? But, but I think this would have been a really poignant end to the Carlisle yeah, character. Yeah, because cause later on when they say Connors is dead, Connors, like, like it's yeah, supposed to be like meaningful. Ma- it seems like MacGyver's, like, really upset about learning that Connor specifically has died. Or if it was uh, Bannister or something. Like, Bannister would have been a great... Sure. Play. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Like then you would have been like, oh my gosh, that's his yeah. friend, and oh no, that maybe, but that would have been too focused, I guess. Yeah. But uh, there was, I felt like Bannister it was. doesn't come back, does he? No. For sure. He not, come not that back I know of. Friends or something. Oh, maybe he comes back for that. I think he is. The in clip, clip show episodes are always weird. Yeah, I, th- I think he might be in Friends, like at the party or something, <laughs> while they're doing the clip show stuff. And the. Uh, Ingrid is still his wife. <laughs> like, right, yeah, she's still... <laughs> she's like, still I'm under- glad you guys worked out that whole Russian spy thing. I'm glad you guys made it work. A lot of people, that's the end of the relationship. Honestly, weird side note, if she had been found out, there's no way she... One, she'd be disavowed. They'd probably kill her if she ever tried to get back. Sure, yeah. So her best option would be to stay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And maybe she could just be a double agent. But yeah, so essentially Pietro has escaped from the cell right um there are other uh dxs agents that are out in the living room of this home slash prison but um they don't know connor's is dead and and piedra's out of his cell and armed at this point Mm -hmm. now we're seeing macgyver and terry step out of the hotel and Mm -hmm. are immediately captured well yeah i mean they had they had a moment macgyver terry had a moment where she pulls a gun on him right and uh it's kind of intercut with the escape of of piedra um, but yeah, she pulls a gun on him thinking that MacGyver is still Piedra and MacGyver, he, he's trying to convince her that he's not, but he's saying it in such a creepy, 
way that it's, it's obvious that he actually might be Piedra. It's yeah. like, no, no, you've got it all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, no, you're not, you're not doing it. You're not playing that character right. Meanwhile, he's just sort of like fumbling around with this tube of toothpaste uh-huh. for no reason. Yeah. And he just squirts a big line of toothpaste on his finger, and she's like, "Put it down." And he's like, "It's just toothpaste. See, I squirt it all over my finger." And she's like, <laughs> "Put it down, please." And then he puts down the tube of toothpaste. He's like, well, psh, now what I'm going to get? I got toothpaste all over my finger. <laughs> and he throws it at the ground and it just explodes in front of him. It's like this weird phosphorus, nitroglycerin yeah. toothpaste um, for extra whitening. And <laughs> he, uh, he basically, the explosion catches her off guard enough that he's able to knock the gun out of her hand. Mm-hmm. And as is pretty typical of MacGyver, he immediately starts unloading the bullets. Yeah, yeah. He, it's, you know, it's a revolver, so he just opens up the cylinder and just, just empty, just dumps it out. Yeah. Um, and as he's doing this, he's kind of trying to calm her down. He gets her on the couch and he's like, look, if I were Piedra, I would have killed you already, which mm-hmm. isn't the case. Piedra's MO is to sort of kill them that night after they've already rendered yeah. their services. Yeah. It, it's, it's fairly obvious that he still could be Piedra. Um, that's why she's all sure the checks in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> it's such like, a weird line. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> there's a really weird line too from her where, uh, he says, look, I'm, I'm not. I'm not who you think I am. And she's like, oh, Piedra, Mr. Gray, whoever you are, I don't even care. You could just kill me. And it's like, what is the logic of that sentence? Yeah. Like, I don't even care that you're going to kill me. It's like, you should care a lot. You should. You were trying to avenge your sister. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. And so he somehow convinces her that he's not Piedra right. here. Um, I guess the, the fact that she's not dead was evidence enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they, as they're leaving the hotel, she says... What scares me is that I almost killed you. And he says, nah, Terry, if you were that kind of person, you'd have pulled the trigger on me. Yeah. And it's like, no, if you were the kind of person that killed me, you would be the person that killed me. Yeah. Well, and then, and she, but then she gives a reason why she didn't do it. Why she yeah. didn't pull the trigger is like, because I wanted to watch him beg. I wanted to see his face as he died. But I feel like Pietro wouldn't have done that either. So. Yeah. But, but, then, but, and then she says, uh, now I'll never get the chance. Like she's still. Desperate. Yeah, she's real upset about not getting to murder a person. Yeah. <laughs> I finally had a chance of justifiable homicide, and now it's not going to happen. Those those opportunities don't come around all that often. Yeah. Um, and this is when they're descended upon by Emilio and uh, and his group. Right. Which, again, bad, bad for Emilio. Like, we just, ca- you know, who believes he's captured the assassin... And takes them to where the target is. Yeah, he takes them to the basement of the church where the archbishop is yeah. making his speech. You take him as far away as possible because you don't want him to kill a bishop. Yeah, and if you had information on this hit beforehand, you might also know that he was planning on doing it with explosives, which is added reason not to bring him back to the church. Yeah, it's... it's it, I mean, it, it serves obviously a plot purpose because it puts MacGyver back into the action without him having to drive all the way across L.A., but... It, it just does not make sense as far as a tactic for Emilio. Right. Plus, what are you gonna, you're going to interrogate him on, on holy ground? Like, yeah. You're going to beat the crap out of this guy in the church basement? That also doesn't seem to stand a reason for for what it is that you're doing. Yeah. So the next shot is them coming down the stairs into this what we're supposed to believe is the basement of the church, mm-hmm. I guess. Although we happen to know that this is not a basement. This is right. the first floor of a building. Because we've seen MacGyver come in through the door before. Yeah. Um, because this room was previously used in uh, Season 1, Episode 4, The Gauntlet. This was like the room where Diego is running the printing press when MacGyver comes in in Asking Guatemala, for. Belize, to yeah. see um, 
Kate Connolly. This was noticed by a uh, username MacDriver on the MacGyver online forums that these are the same room. But you can very clearly see that the stairs are the same and the light in the room is the same. So this is the same room yeah. where MacGyver first met Kate Connolly. And so they bring them downstairs and they're uh, interrogating them and trying to figure out how they were going to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and MacGyver's still trying to convince them, look, I'm not Piedra and I can prove it to you. Right. And meanwhile, the real Piedra dressed up as as an old man again playing up the whole murdoch thing right of like master of disguise right you know he's, he's dressed up as this bearded uh crippled irishman know, irish <laughs> doing his weird like i don't know in places it feels italian it uh-huh. feels like it, it starts out as italian and then it kind of drifts back into irish, irish at the end um but yeah it's it's a very uh leprechaun delivery um <laughs> Oh, we're so excited to see the Archbishop today. Yeah, it's 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 pretty hammy, but again, it is playing up his his character of master of disguise. Yeah. Um. So the way MacGyver decided he would prove to them that he is not Pietra is by calling DXS. Mm-hmm. Who this, for all intents and purposes, they probably have no idea who DXS is. Yeah, and, and he never actually speaks to DXS. It's only MacGyver who's on the phone with him. Mm-hmm. Um. And so he introduces himself on the phone as DX Five again. He gives some kind of a clearance code, XC4479, um, to get a hold of Pete Pete specifically. And this is when he's he's trying to convince the security people that Piedra has been captured. He's, yeah. he's being held. Um, and this is when uh, Pete explains that that's not the case anymore. That Piedra yeah. escaped and killed not only Connors, but the other four agents in the house. Which we see a little bit of. Piedra... Yeah. Um, like leaps yeah he's like it's like he's sneaking around a corner with a gun getting ready to shoot them but then he backs up as one of them approaches Mm -hmm. and uh the next shot we see of him is him clinging to the ceiling like (laughs) spider-man and then he drops down um behind a guy and just sort of jump tackles him yeah we don't we don't actually see the kill it's like his hands reach off camera even though we know he has a gun yeah he's decided to kill i mean maybe he's just being very silent so he killed all four of the other guys in this safe house and is probably on his way to the church now. Mm-hmm. And so then we see him in this the old Irishman makeup. But somehow Emilio is able to hear what Pete's saying. Right. Pete's talking very loudly on the yeah, phone. He, he hears it well enough to understand what Piedra escaped. And it's like this could just be like Piedra's sidekick filling in the story right. to make it seem like MacGyver's not Piedra. Now Emilio and his men like kind of spring into action. Like, right. all right, we need to figure out who here is Piedra because obviously he's going to come right to the church. He's planning on killing the archbishop mm-hmm. at four o'clock. So, so MacGyver and Emilio run out of the basement, but MacGyver says, "Fill, fill Pete in on what's going on to Terry." Right. So he, Terry takes the phone. He goes, "Please, Please hurry. hurry," and then, and then hangs up. up. Not we're at this specific church. Yeah. Or so and so. Like MacGyver had said where they were. But and like, who what, the target was. But what if he misheard or, like, just clarify. Just clarify yeah, with them on the phone. Give an address. Talk them through getting yeah. here. What, what the grounds are like. Yeah. I mean, like, th- there, there's some information that Terry could have given. But she then then she also grabs the gun, her original gun. Which right. uh, Emilio had brought, like, all the stuff from the hotel room with them. Uh, so she managed but to... her original gun shouldn't have been loaded anymore, right? That's what I thought, you know? Unless, like, they also picked the bullets up off the floor. And then reloaded her gun for her? Yeah. That's that's really weird, actually. I thought that was just his gun that he happened to have in the briefcase. Well, I, I, think it is, I think it was her gun. I think it was still her gun from the hotel room. Bizarrely reloaded. Okay. Um, 
And then we move upstairs. Or what's worse, maybe it is empty. Uh, oh, man, she... that would have been great if they just let her fire it. <laughs> click, <laughs> click, click, click. Oh, no. Yeah. It would have actually brought a lot to her character to show her resolve. So we move upstairs. MacGyver's basically talking all these security guys through the process. Yeah. Look for somebody who doesn't look like an assassin. Mm-hmm. They're the assassin. So yeah. all the old people are just getting tackled left and right. Yeah, and, and he, he tries to convince the bishop not to go out, but he says, no, I mean, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Right. Um, I can't not face my public. I can't give in to terrorism. Yeah. And uh, He takes his job a little bit more seriously than he should. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's clear that he probably should at least just give them time to find Piedra, at least. Yeah. like, Because, like, you're also putting everyone who's at this... A little meeting at risk because right. again remember his original plan was to blow something up yeah we don't know if he still intends to do that and it, it feels uh a bit like he has so much faith that he's just like well nothing bad could possibly happen to me or to my followers so mm-hmm. like you guys do what you have to do and i'll keep looking after your souls because i'm a nice guy but you don't yeah. even have to protect me i'm gonna be fine yeah um so piedra uh it's basically he gets kind of caught here. Yeah, because because uh, uh, Emilio's men are on the ball, like they're yeah. looking around, and it seems like they might have even prevented this assassination if yeah. MacGyver hadn't even been involved. But um, because yeah, because yeah, like they're looking for suspicious, and Piedra is feeling the pressure, like he's right. seeing the increase of manpower, and he's, he can't make his move here now. Right. So, so he kind of wanders off into the woods <laughs> from from the angle yeah. we see. He like yeah. sort of disappears into the tree line. Um, and then later we see um, a nun is coming through like a random corridor in the church, and uh, one of one of the archbishop's security team yeah. like almost shoots her, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it, it, you were coming through the, the hallway here." Yeah, yeah. And then she turns and walks through a door, and immediately we see Pietro like grab her and certainly kill her. Yeah, he. I mean, it's it, he closes the door, but we can assume he's killed. He's killed or tried to kill anyone who's ever met yeah so so far in this episode we've seen him kill one escort and mm -hmm. five dxs agents yeah so he certainly has no qualms with killing this right and i'm sure he killed that kid and got the watch back (laughs) Um, (laughs) he's got all these watches from all all actually there there there's no time he he couldn't he couldn't possibly have killed the kid unless he killed him on the way to the church like i gotta get that 40 dollar watch back (laughs) that kid is the only one who's seen my face i gotta find tiger he calls the kid tiger. That's true. It's true that that's the thing that happened. <laughs> so uh, they know that Pietro's on the grounds. They he could be anywhere, but the archbishop is giving like a small service to the private service for the nuns. Right. Before he goes out and greets his public, and so MacGyver manages to intercept him, and it says like kind of a weirdly worded thing. It says, "Do you have time to hear a prayer?" Like, and and it cuts away from that. We don't know what what MacGyver's plan is yet. Probably just to pray. Yeah. And then we see uh, the front row of all the nuns um, in the actual service. In yeah. The service, and we see all of them like with their hands clasped. But one of them has like a giant needle sticking. Yeah, a out giant of the... golden needle. It's like, and it's not like even like just at his fingertips, just barely out. It's like it's, stuck it's out fully like four extended inches past the end of his fingers. Yeah. Um, it's like, I feel like the nun is like, "What's that?" Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, Did you not shave this morning? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the archbishop comes down the aisle, 
like um, doing little little blessings along the way. Yeah, and then he moves out in front of the nuns and the one that has this needle specifically, and Piedra kind of slowly looks up from under the habit, like, mm-hmm. ah, got, <laughs> I'm gonna I got get you. you. And when he gets all the way up, he realizes this is not the Archbishop. Yeah. Then MacGyver has uh, slipped into his his uh, robe. Garb. His, his... <laughs> He's murdered the Archbishop and taken his yeah. place. MacGyver, in turn, has murdered the Archbishop and uh, is wearing uh, the Archbishop's garb. And it looks like Piedra just stabs him with this poisonous yeah. needle and then he, runs off. He, he, he lunges at him with it to the point where MacGyver is knocked back. Yeah. It's it's definitely makes impact. Yeah. And it's unclear whether or not, like, maybe... So somehow in this motion... The needle was either deflected or mm-hmm. didn't land the way it was supposed to, and um, and Piedra just makes a run for it. But I feel that that needle is gone. Right. Yeah. Like no, that it's needle been is at now... least knocked away. Yeah. And so that that was the second, the uh, second Karari needle. laced needle that mm-hmm. he had on him, probably in a second scar or somewhere like that. Right. And so now, and now he's like just beating people up on the way out like he's, yeah he's, he's just judo kicking everybody in the face and yeah he, he takes a lot of people out on his yeah. way through this room he's rolling down the aisles and he's the archbishop security come up with a gun he just kicks the gun straight up out of his hands and yeah. knocks the guy down and starts running again meanwhile macgyver is busy taking off the archbishop's yeah, clothes he's like look i'm gonna fight this guy but i'm not gonna do a dress like an archbishop that's just yeah. weird i'm just gonna do a dress as a normal priest <laughs> yeah just as a priest i'm just gonna have the collar that's it i'm not gonna go the full the full robe <laughs> So he chases uh, Piedra through the church, eventually out onto this, like, balcony area. Where Piedra now turns around. And he has and, another needle. And, and another blowgun. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know if it's still, like, the paper cup blowgun, or if he managed to pick up another one or fashion another one. Right. Um, but he, but he sh- tries to fire it at MacGyver, and MacGyver kind of dodges it. Mm-hmm. And it, But it hit, then it, like, bounces around and then lands needle up in the bricks yeah it lands in like a crack in the in the sidewalk mm-hmm. so that it's facing up so that it's super dangerous if right someone right were to fall on it for example <laughs> and uh god forbid and they sort of have a little bit of a tussle and then terry mm-hmm. shows up with her with her potentially empty gun yeah <laughs> and macgyver yells no like don't shoot him yeah i and guess she says this is for lila and he says no terry don't do it because he doesn't want her to like live with the guilt of having killed right. this person, um, and then suddenly Pietro just makes a run for it in the opposite direction. Yeah, MacGyver lifts like a garden hose mm-hmm. and trips him, and he falls on his hand on the needle oh, on the poison yeah. needle. And it looks pretty awful, even if it weren't poison. <laughs> it just looks <laughs> yeah. like oh Jesus Christ, that oh. so much. It's like, and uh, and Pietro now in his death death rattles, kind of like grabs has oh so her gun was he, loaded. Because we do now, he has her gun. He grabbed. He had It'd grabbed still the. Still be gun. empty. Well, you, I think you can see the bullets. Oh, you okay. can see the bullets in the chamber, and so he he tries to to shoot MacGyver while while he's struggling for breath and and trying to use his last motor functions. Yeah. To to pull off a shot, but uh, it wasn't enough, and he just bleh, bleh, and falls to the ground. Yeah. And uh, Pete comes around the corner with enough time to kill Piedra if. He were going to shoot MacGyver, but right. doesn't take the shot because he can see that Pietro's already right, dying. and 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 is still once again leaving MacGyver opportunity to take care of the situation as as he did before in the original fight. Right, because MacGyver in the original fight, MacGyver was like, "What took you so long? I wanted to see who would win." Yeah, <laughs> Pete and MacGyver are both very good at, at telling exactly when someone's about to lose a fight mm-hmm. and then stepping in at that, at that precisely that moment. Well, that's why they're such good friends. Right. Like, I mean, that's that's what I like about the well, Pete they protect MacGyver each world. other a lot that way, but also like in the Prodigal when MacGyver like 
can tell exactly when this conversation is going to devolve into Joey shooting Frank yeah. and set off the wood trap. Like he just knows exactly when things are reaching the point of no return. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so Piedra is killed. Um, and then the archbishop makes his speech anyway. I yeah. guess there was a slight delay, which he apologizes for. Yeah, for, for all the for, for the dead nun and the dead. We had to take the bodies out, so sorry. It took an extra 20 minutes. Yeah. Because it looks like the same time of day. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't it, look like it's nighttime it's, it's, or anything. It's shortly now. after. Like, there's no other police. Yeah. There's no, no one's, like, questioning. No, no one's still looking for the possible explosive. Remember, there's yeah. potentially an explosive somewhere. Um, yeah, we... I'm wondering if the toothpaste was the explosive. Now that I think about it, like, doesn't seem like there was enough of it. Like he puts a big line on his finger, and it still makes barely a spark. Doesn't that's seem true. like it would be enough to even break the the container. Of yeah, the toothpaste. So, like, what would he have done with it? Like, put it on the podium? Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's dang, like a I giant really... plastic crucifix in the room. Oh man, I really want to know. It's still there. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really want to know what his plan was. I don't know why. It's just it's just in me. Um. Uh, but yeah, so we we sort of uh, end the episode with uh, MacGyver and, and Peter leaning against this the same wall, like right where Pietro died, basically. Yeah, only moments ago. Yeah, and uh, MacGyver says, "Ah, well, I guess we'll never know." And then Terry's all, "No, uh, what?" Yeah, Pete kind of laughs about it, and then Terry's like, "We'll never know what." And then he says, Pete w- says "Whether or not he could have taken him." Right. Yeah. Um, but we know which, the answer. We, is- we totally know the answer too. Uh, MacGyver could not have taken him. Yeah, uh, he defeated him here because the guy fell on his own weapon, mm-hmm. which is you know, that's which a is MacGyver true to form. Trope. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a Narai, yeah. <laughs> uh, slow death train thing. Like everybody falls on their own weapon. Yeah, little, little known fact that uh, General Narai's sword was also Kari tipped. <laughs> right, Hari Kari tipped. Hari Kari. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, MacGyver definitely would have lost the fight because yeah. in that clock shop he was about to get butterfly faced, mm-hmm. and uh, and Pete had to step in, so we know who would have won that fight. And I wish Pietro could come back for more. Yeah, but he died in such a way that it would be difficult to explain his reappearance, mm-hmm. unlike any of Murdoch's uh, deaths. <laughs> Murdoch, no, none of all of Murdoch's deaths can easily be explained, like falling five thousand feet from the top of a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> And I actually had an opportunity to speak with Anthony DeLondris about his appearance in this episode as Pietro the Assassin. Why don't we play that for you now? First of all, I just wanted to thank you so much for speaking with us today. In MacGyver's first season finale, you played world-class assassin Pietro. Did you audition for that role? I did, actually. And, uh... It it was, well, as I said, it's one of my favorite roles that uh, allowed me to combine you know, both a, a great character, you know, and then come up with some good action, which the, uh, you know, most of which we kind of created on the spot, um, we, uh, because we could. Uh, the the director liked my reading, and he said, "Well, I, I've got to have a guy who could, you know, you know, do all these things and be believable and this and that." And uh, <laughs> so I proceeded to go through a few. Uh, you know, moves in the audition. Um, sure. And I guess he was convinced uh, <laughs> that I could play the role because I got to. Yeah. I was very happy about that. Yeah. In uh, in your first confrontation with MacGyver in that in the clock shop, there's a fairly brutal fight. Did you do all your own stunts for that scene? Yes, yes, I sure did, uh, including going um, going through the back of the uh, uh, the big clock. 
Yeah. Some breakaway glass on it. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I, I wasn't doing as many stunts per se in those days. Uh, I was doing lots of action because, uh, I started as a theater, you know, I started Shakespeare. And, uh, some of my first, uh, oh, breaks in, uh, you know, you know in the business were, um, you know, choreographing, uh, action for, um, I did uh, Richard Chamberlain's Serenade on the Bears Rack. That was, they'd seen me uh, working down at the Oak Oak Theater. Oh, okay. They should be getting played with equal. About there, I, I got to train Richard Chamberlain and choreograph him, you know, for the Duel and Rhyme, which uh, got great reviews. Uh, and, and Richard did a perfect job. And then the following year, uh, I did the Scottish play with uh, Carol Hampton and also choreographed that uh, and performed with him. Uh, so that was uh, that was that was fun. I had done, uh, you know, I'd, and I, you know, it's 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 a lifelong. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've been studying Lady Luck for forty four years now in county, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, it's just it's a life journey. I consider myself a work in progress, but especially as an actor, uh, I was looking to go. Uh, how can I? You know, hold my physical instrument as versatile as possible. Um, I used to be very uncomfortable with my you know, physical self, so I went, I've got to do something about that. So I started, uh, you know, adding a lot of physical training, a lot of martial arts. And uh, it not only helped me um, oh, invest the credibility to the roles I was playing that were, you know, more dialogue oriented, but still, you know, had opportunities for some physicality or at least a presence. Um, then, uh, you know, then it, it's, it's become a parallel career for me, you know, training other actors like, uh, you know, Char, uh, uh, Harris Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer and Gerlinger Houston and, you know, a long list of other, <laughs> other things. Yeah. You, you said before you had done uh, whip training for Harrison Ford on, uh, the kingdom of the crystal skull. I wondered if you could describe that experience a little bit. Uh, well, it was uh, it was good fun. I uh, I created a more efficient, more effective, more visual, more compatibly viable system whip work. Sure. Uh, it's been I guess it's been about thirty years now. And I uh, but I had the opportunity to train Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. Oh, okay. And that was all all Michelle. Um, none of the none of the stunt girls, even Kathy Long, world champion kickboxer, got anywhere near Michelle's ability with the whip because. She saw I was trying to give her another vocabulary, you know, to help tell the story. Sure, and, uh, yeah. She reaped a lot of benefits from it. It, it grounded her and, uh, you know, helped give her a fluidity, which was no small small feat because she was working in three to five inch heels all the time. Sure, yeah. Uh, so that's that was where it started, and I continued to develop. I continue to do it to this day, uh, but uh, I had gotten my materials to... Uh, producers for Crystal Skull and uh, one day I got this call from Harrison saying, uh, well guess we better get you to come in here and, uh, you know, you know, brush up my skills. Uh, <laughs> you've seen what I did. Uh, I have I have a structure that's very different. Most people yank and slash and uh, my, you know, my unique rolling loop style actually stabs. Uh, so it is more uh, it is more accurate. It is much more efficient. Um uh, because I'm using the structure of the whip to do the work for me. Sure. And then uh, and it's, it's also a lot more visual. And I, I, I look on the whip as a uh, as a bladed weapon, just a uh, flexible bladed weapon. Sure. So 
I use the, you know, four decades worth of sword training uh, to create my system. That's, you know, so my movement is much more proportionate, uh, uh, and, you know, which means it's always in frame, which means it's always about the person wielding the whip and not the whip. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a combination of being more effective, you know, more compatibly viable, and then also uh, being cinematic. Much more visual for the screen, you know, more cinematic. So uh, yeah, that was fun. So it was, it, but it was yeah, kind of a big thrill to you know realize those. Uh, you just said, but he launches. Yeah. Aha! Yes, sir, Mister Ford. What can I do for you? So I got to prepare him. Um, I didn't get like much as I would like with the show. Uh, I was on set every day, and we actually created things on the spot. Uh, I got to prepare uh, Harrison and then. Uh, but didn't really get much, you know, direct input into the film other than making sure that he was absolutely ready, which he was. And it was a pleasure to work with. But we were back to, uh, oh, the first thing he said to me was, you're an amazing swordsman. <laughs> I said, thanks, when are we going to do a sword movie? But, uh, yeah, so that was fun. But, yeah, it, uh, it, was, it was great fun playing theater because uh, they let me add accents. Uh, you know, that opening uh, fight sequence in, in the clock shop was, you know, it was really terrific. So yeah. Set the show off. And then I'm actually, uh, you know, I'd actually pinned myself up to the ceiling when I'm hiding in the closet after I make my escape. Oh, yeah, yeah. The poison needle and uh, all of that. And, and, you know, playing the old Irish guy uh, before I ended up being the kicking nun. Which <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I had a really good time with that. Yeah. Given your various weapon skills, do you think you would make an effective assassin? Uh, well, I, I think a lot of that's the mindset. Uh, you know, I, I, I do have some skills that uh, I hope I never have to actually utilize. But uh, I, what I do like to do is I like to train to be able to actually do something. So, for example, uh, not only, you know, uh, well, I, you know, I can, and I regularly do. We just got back from uh, Las Vegas where we were teaching master classes of whip, and I was also uh, teaching knife and uh, cane work and stuff. Uh, but I could take, you know, I take targets out of my wife's, you know, fingers and mouth and then do body developments from eight different angles. And, and then we do it with fire whip, which is uh, really cool. We just last week did a whole uh, fire whip sequence for a music video, which is very, which is really kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, but I can also do that on horseback. Uh, I take targets out of my uh, partner's fingers as we pass, uh, you know, full speed at the gallop. Uh, wow. Did that a couple of years ago for uh, more extreme marksmen on the History Channel, which keeps airing, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, and then we went, well, shoot, we know we can do this. Let's add it to our live show. So last year when we did the Night of the Horse at the Delmore National Horse Show, you know, we uh, you know start with targets, uh, handheld targets that we cut as we pass on horseback in the ring. You know, chase down a guy on horseback and cut a target out of his hand with a whip and do a head to head pass before moving into swords on horseback and then <laughs> finishing with our synchronized whip tango. Yeah. Anybody who wants to go to our website, you know, they'll be able to find all this stuff. Sure. Well, and we'll put a link up on our website too so if people want to check it out. Great. Um, do you happen to remember where the church scenes for the assassin were shot? I would be guessing. Uh, I, I want to say Glendale, or uh, it's local, of course. Sure, yeah. Because uh, well, it, it, MacGyver started here uh, before it moved up to Canada. And, uh, yeah. I was lucky enough to go up there and uh, you know do the uh, 
episode uh, Lost Love with uh, Alyssa Davalos. She was uh, playing. She was the actress playing, you know, his Lost Love. And, uh, that was great. that that was good fun. Um, do do you have any other fun memories from the set of either your your first or the two part Lost Love episode? Um, well, a, I, I have wonderful memories from. Uh, oh golly, the uh, you know the Piedra episode. Just every day going to work was a joy because uh, you know we were um, you know we were kind of creating things on the fly. You know, I had a good time. My character, of course, showed up doing my line. Uh, but you know, Richard is fun to work with. Uh, he's very hands-on, so uh, you know, we we were actually uh, you know working. You know, we, we worked out our uh, you know our choreography. Uh, uh, you know, they said that Judy was the coordinator, and uh, you know, he's fishing stuff at us. But he uh, he certainly do do Richard. Richard's very athletic. Richard's a hockey player, yeah, <laughs> which is kind of fun. So he's not afraid to mix it up and. Uh, <laughs> And you know, I, uh, I I won his trust very early on, so you know, two of us worked really well together. Uh, actually, the uh, one of the last sequences, uh, I'm throwing this bat spinning hook kick that uh, you know, looks like he catches him in the side of the head. Oh, yeah. um, before I knock him down, and I run, you know, and then I run, and he pulls up the hose that I trip over and then fall onto my needle. Uh, you know, which is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm hoisted on my own uh, tiny little pointy guitar. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it uh, it was fun because you know I, I threw the kick and I actually put it on the shoulder. But the way the camera angle was, it looked like I'd hit him right, you know, right in the neck. Yeah. So it was it was it was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and then uh, that which actually kind of brings up something fun. Uh, they had said that, you know, he got curare and uh, you know, uh you know, that, that you know, that I, I was poisoned by the needle. And at the time, um <laughs> computers were kind of in their infancy or a little a little more so. Yeah. Uh personal computers. And I kinda of went, Well, wait a minute, you know, uh, okay, if I if I die, you know, uh, how do I die? You know, what what exactly does this do? So I wanted to look it up, and I actually uh, called uh, the studio because you know, tales of you know studio backlog and reference libraries, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Know, golden Age. I thought, oh well, I'll, I'll call some studio, and they basically didn't have anything for me. Um, <laughs> you know, they, I think they phased out that department or whatever. So uh, I, I did some more research on my own, and I discovered that what what. Curare does is it paralyzes the intercostal muscle, so you can't breathe. Yeah. You, know, you can't draw breath, so you essentially suffocate. So it gave me something more specific, and I tried to, you know, give that that sense. It definitely comes across that you're struggling to breathe. Your face is getting dark red, and you're choking. And yeah, I, I think it definitely works with the Curare. Sure. Yeah, but uh, but it just gives me a. a, a Thank you. What it gave me was something more specific and not just, you know, a general kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, you know, the, the lesson here being, you know, uh, continue to learn stuff because it's only going to, you know, invest your, uh, your, your portrayals with, you know, with, with, uh, more credibility and, uh, don't depend on somebody else to do your job for you to your own damn search. Yeah, yeah. I, I often appear on shows, uh, you know, because of the different skills of uh, 
developed and continue to develop. You know, I'll come in as an expert on uh, you know, more extreme marksman. I did a couple of Gunny Lee Army on Lock and Load. I guess shooting live ammo from the back of a galloping horse. He had to be fun. It was. And, oh, he's a hoot. Uh, and he actually, before I started to work with him, I, uh, you know, I, I looked back up uh, you know, his soliloquy from uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. You know, which is, hey, it's kind of like American uh, Shakespeare. I mean, <laughs> just so eloquent in it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he, he had a great sense of humor. We got along really well. And, you know, uh, and a lot of other different shows, uh, Triggers and 101 Weapons that Changed the World, and blah, blah, blah. But it, uh, you know, they'll always, you know, oh, and uh, the Deadliest Warrior, for, uh, I was an expert on season one, and that just Spike found it impossible to believe that somebody could be an expert in more than one area. So <laughs> uh, I ended up coming in and supplying the uh, weapons testing courses in, uh, for season two and three. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so I, you know, I, I continued to have a presence and a contribution on the show at that time. But um, they, you know, they would come up with, uh, okay, here's, you know, here's kind of information on your weapon, and, and I would thank them very much. But I had already done, you know, uh, uh, research of my own, and <laughs> I always found things that were beyond the, you know, the simple. Well, let's go to uh, Wikipedia, just regurgitate what it says. Yeah. As, my, as as good a reference as that is, uh, my wife, scientist, is cellular biology, often says uh, there's no peer review on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, sometimes you've got you know a uh, world-class scientist, you know, uh, commenting, and sometimes you've got some guy in his basement, you know, kind of going, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's it's functions of you know, uh, you know, brain waves. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little trick that I learned very early in my career, uh, you know, by watching because uh, uh, you can learn a lot on a set if you uh, keep your eyes open and your mouth shut, you know. And uh, uh, one of the one of the things that you know that I've had, you know, bite me at the bottom a couple times. So uh, you will try to get as much coverage as you can from a scene, and uh, you know they'll they'll shoot you know they'll shoot their masters or they'll shoot their over the shoulders, they'll shoot their close ups, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and a combination of things. However much time they have time for it, uh, a lot of it depends on you know how confident the director is, in, uh, you know, in his ability to you know shoot both story and and action. And some some are really great at one and not the other. You know, the rare the rare talents are good at both. But the point of this being, uh, you get a lot of footage that most of the time in episode of television, you uh, you may not be in the editing room, which yeah. means you know you 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 have an editor who makes decisions, uh, and of course they're very much character and story decisions because what the audience sees is what they <laughs> you know what they base their uh, you know their Commitment to the, the story, you know, if you will. Uh, you know, using one shot over another shot can can make a tremendous difference. Yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, so <laughs> I I watched, uh, you know, uh, very veteran directors do what they call editing a camera, meaning I'm only going to give the editor exactly the what shot I want to see. I want him to have <laughs> so that he can't make the wrong decision because you know I I have done shows where. Uh, you know, I did some really great work, uh, and 
I do there with these good shots because I always ask the camera, "Where are you?" So that I know yeah. I know how to make the uh, you know the the lens and the camera work for me instead of fighting it or doing something stupid and careless and, and ruining a shot. Uh, and just going, I know we have better shots than that, but, uh, you know. And uh, you now there was a, there was an episode of something called. Uh, uh, you know, Conan, uh, the adventures of Conan, whatever shot down in Mexico. And we'd, uh, you know, worked with a fellow named Ralph Buller, and it was very nice. He was playing Conan. Uh, came in, and he and I put together a, uh, a very good sword fight that actually got applause from you know, the crew, which <laughs> <laughs> is always a good sign. Yeah. They don't have to. And uh, when I when I came around to doing some uh, ADR, which was, you know, got to do a couple lines, they didn't get it. And I found out that you had to get every line on the show. It was like, this is weird to do it for second season. But they were doing all of it. You know, I went, well, I get having to do an exterior, but why are we, why are we dubbing interior shots? Your sounds should have been good. Well, they were next to, like, this beat locker, you know, which uh, it's just they were out of phase with whatever the light of the electrical system was, so the, the sound was always terrible. Oh. And kind of going, you know, I... Again, early in my career, I went, oh, you know, I had my performance, and I was so wonderful. <laughs> At least you think so. Uh, and, uh, you know, now I've got to go back in and try to both match the performance and the movement of my lips, huh. so which, which, is, uh, which, which is actually a skill. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, and, and then I went, okay, wait a minute, this is a mindset. I have a second opportunity to bring something more to this. So that's how I tried to look at it. But the last thing you want to do is dub every line you've done. Sure. But anyway, I went in to do uh, you know, dub all my dialogue, and they uh, said, "Did you tell me what the fight looks like?" You know, since we're at this scene anyway. And I looked at it, and I had, uh, you know, when I choreograph, I like to put together the idea that when good people finally battle, they're very match that the hero has to dig deep. You know, because like, for example, in MacGyver, you know, uh, MacGyver is losing to me. Yeah. You know, and, and he, he's outclassed, he's outmatched. Uh, but, you know, he is so uh, innovative, you know, he makes use of what's available, which was the hose on the ground, and he trips. Uh, and and in, this, in this case, uh, but I just kind of go, you don't have much of a hero if you don't push it. You know, if he doesn't have to rise to the occasion, it's yeah. just kind of like, well, it's his show, so I guess we know he's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, in this instance, uh, what had happened was they had, uh, it's called cutting on the action fire. You know, every time, you know, they they, they would cut to something. It, it makes it very difficult to follow the narrative of, of an action story because you're, you're not really seeing all of the parts put together to, like, like a sentence, it's like you're getting every third word or something. Yeah. And worse that, you know, when in doubt, they constantly cut back to Rolf, star. Um, and I just kind of went, who approved this? It's all oh, the producers, you know, just, and it's, uh, it's a way to go where, you know, you're always featured star, which of course, territory. But if you do it at the expense of, you know, the jeopardy that was within the action, of course, the story, yeah. Uh, then your hero, you know, suddenly becomes kind of he's he's weakened, you know, and it's it's just it's foolish. So it, it was another sample of uh, I kind of wish they didn't have so many choices to make. They would have had to use the little 
<laughs> a little more in-camera uh, editing. I the one. same thing. I had to me the same kind of partner, Jet Lee, uh, for uh, Certified Fearless. Um, it was actually cool because they've been all over the world fighting you know, fighters. You know, to, you know, that final sequence against the uh, Caucasian, you know, the evil repressive uh, violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was, uh, but it was, it was a lot of fun, and I got along very well with Chad and with Jet uh, Pink. Right? One of the most famous action directors in the world. Uh, it was I. I well, there's a couple of stories there, but uh, one of which was I watch. I was watching him shoot and going, "Oh, he's editing a camera." <laughs> Even though he's going to get to you know be in the editing room, he's shooting this because only he really knows you know uh, yeah. the, the shot he's going to use to make this work. And uh, it was it was just kind of fun. But yeah, they uh, you know, they were they were choreographing me like I was using a Chinese sword. And I'm kind of going, eh, this isn't what I would do with this weapon. But they also thought that Western sword fight, sword fighting looks like what they see in the movies. And uh, Yen Wuping actually took my sword and, went, and pumped his arm and went, pokey, pokey, pokey. And I, oh, God. <laughs> he thinks that's what, you know, that's what he's used to seeing. Yeah. And so the first three moves that choreographed for me were pokey, pokey, pokey. And I went, oh, I'm going to give you three for us, but I will not pump my arm. <laughs> uh, and after we got to the first, uh, you know, the first take, uh, I realized, you know, I'm, I'm here to motivate Jeff's incredibly cool moves. Uh, you know, so they're having me attack the quadrants, which I went, okay, because it, it, they, were, they were working very, very fast. They were like five days behind. I caught up three days and the two half days of filming they did, which was very they liked me. <laughs> and um it was it was very, very cool. But you know, I, I I asked, can I, you know, can I'll still do you know the attack you want me to do, can I get there at this manner instead of that manner? And I guess one of his team uh, had said, you know, who's choreographing this? Us at the Guaylo and, and Wu Ping said, This Guaylo knows what he's doing. So uh after that, we, we, things went very, very smoothly. And we had a grand time. <laughs> um, what has been your favorite challenge in the course of your career? Something that they asked you to do that seemed impossible, but that you were able to pull off? <laughs> Getting my next job. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it never seems to end. Uh, I find the more I can do, the, you know, the more I work, which is why you know, I work in front of the camera as an actor. Uh, I work as a voiceover artist. Uh, I did a game called uh, Red Dead Redemption. I play uh, you know, one of the leads of that, Marshall Lee Johnson, and it was a motion capture. So yeah. it was like doing a Western, except you were in a silly suit, balls on, uh, you know, shiny balls, so they can't compute it and pick it up. Uh, yeah. I did uh, another thing called uh, Bullet Storm, you know, where I had that guy and that. Uh, so I do that, and then I, uh, you know, I come in as a weapon specialist. Uh, and you know, I'll come in and basically be a stuntman doing fights, or uh, come in as a fight coordinator or a weapons uh, specialist and choreograph, you know, things. Uh, so, and then you know, and then people come to uh, train with us at the ranch, uh, or I'll go to train with them, depending on the, you know <laughs> if the studio's paid for it. Yeah, yeah. But um, it, uh, you know, it it, it, it keeps me uh, sharp. We have, we have uh, uh, our ranch is called Rancho Adalo. It's uh, when I worked in Spain on a series called The Queen of Swords. 
the Indalo is a, a uh, symbol of good luck and uh, good weather. It's, it was a cave painting found, uh, I don't know, second or third century, I think, in Calvary, Spain. And my wife and I always said, you know, if we get our ranch, you know, that's what, that's what we call it. Our ranch actually is top of a mountain just north of L.A. that uh, it looks like southern Spain, the view off to the left. Oh, that's uh, great. It's uh, very much of home. And we have uh, uh, we have an on-site gun range, we have a range, we have an archery range, we have uh, <laughs> incredible cross-country riding. So, you know, if you ride is not a good place to learn to ride, but if you have solid basics, I can tell, you know take you to the next level. And then there's all the weapons that I teach, and uh, and it's just a great place to come. Uh, either if you're a professional to train, or you know, if you've uh, always wanted to live the fantasy, you know, we can. Uh, Put together a, a syllabus and make it a tremendous uh, act, you know, action vacation for you and your significant other. So, yeah. So, uh, tell your people to uh, look us up at com. Sure. If they want to come and, you know, train to be Zorro or Robin Hood or, uh, you know, anybody else they can pay, they can dream up. We can. We can we can give them a uh, you know a weekend or uh, you know however long. Sometimes I get people uh, will come for you know, like five days or you know, a week. We get the Australian Stunt Academy who come in every year for the last nine years. Huh. And we get a whole group of people. Yeah, <laughs> it's fun. Do you have a favorite weapon? Uh, I well, the whip and the saber. Uh, my favorite sword is a saber, although I'm probably. Uh, I'm a black belt and an instructor at Shinkendo under Kaisotoshi Shiro Obata uh, and my sensei Matthew Lynch. Uh, that is Japanese swordplay. Uh, eight Kurosawa films are what got me into choreography in the first place back in the 70s. Yeah. And it's I've now come full circle and I'm studying the true art, which is uh, it, it's kind of fun. I like the verisimilitude of that. <laughs> I, I will be doing this for the rest of my life. So it's a terrific art. But uh, I've always liked the saber, um, uh, both the both for work on the ground and on horseback. Uh, you know, it's just it's a very very versatile weapon. And, uh, uh, the saber I'm talking about basically kind of went unchanged uh, from the time of Napoleon on up through uh, and earlier, but especially Napoleon to World War One. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the whip, which I, I, I created something new uh, and more efficient um, and more accurate and more effective and more visual uh, with a tool that's 5,000 years old. Uh, the whip dates back to 3,000 B.C. in the <laughs> Chinese and Egyptian cultures, and uh, which means it's always historically correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every culture that ever domesticated animals has always had some form. Very few films take place longer than 5,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just, uh, you know, I keep trying to uh, encourage people to, uh, you know, hold this in. Unfortunately, most people, uh, you know, you know <laughs> uh, I, I like to get involved in a project as early as possible because I can make suggestions and offer things. That's how I got the job to train Michelle Pfeiffer. They had to come in. Uh, Oh, and I met Jim Burton, uh, uh, and they were going to use a cat of nine gales, and I, you know, the coordinator was so on it, Max Clark, and I said, well, you know, 
I would advise against it because all you can really do is pose with it and hit things. And it has a lot of baggage because it's a punishment whip. Yeah. But a bull whip, you know, has all these possibilities. My dad would matter. And then Max took me to uh, Tim Burton and to uh, Michelle, and they loved it. But, and that was what I, I trained her to do. That's great. Uh, much, much more interesting. What would you say is the most unusual weapon you've ever wielded professionally? Oh, golly. Uh... <laughs> Anything strange or rare or... Um... I'm actually pretty comfortable with most things because the longer I study, the more I see the concepts and fundamentals that connect the uh, the arts. Uh, as I said, I, I look on the whip as a supersonic telescopic blade, so it's not as strange in my hand as it is to most people. Sure, it was, you know how I was able to conceive, uh, you know, of my system because I don't, uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't look on it the way other people do. You know, I was I was re uh, I was re-examining it to uh, you know what how does this actually work and how can I make it work more efficiently? You know, how can I get the two of us working together? Because any weapon you pick up has to be an extension of you know your will and your skill and your personality. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it, it, everything's an inanimate object picked up. Um, most actors, usually through lack of training, are fighting with their weapon. You know, it's they have this adversarial relationship, which makes them less effective, less credible, and a whole lot more dangerous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Themselves <laughs> than everybody else. Uh, I can now make a weapon out of opportunity out of pretty much anything because I have a structure, you know, that comes from all of these different systems that I've studied. Uh, you know, and, and when I go into, you know, train uh, either you know, uh, actors or stunt professionals, I kind of have broken it down into a structure, you know, from which I go, okay, this structure is in anything we pick up, and even and if we have nothing, it's still there, you know, the, uh, you know these elements. Um, so, uh, and helping people see the big picture, you know, helps them not to get lost in new shit. Uh, you know, because whenever you learn something new, you always spend 10 times more energy than you need and in all the wrong places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fun. But uh, I'm trying to think offhand. Uh, uh, I've, I've had some, you know, difficult weapons to work with when I trained golf Spencer. I, I played Blade with the Football Masters at the first. And uh, the weapons that they made were kind of big and clunky, especially Dolph's, you know, Emet sword. The Buick Slayer. It was uh, it was it was massive. Yeah, and uh, they uh, and just 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 kind of difficult to work with. Uh, so and then uh, mine, I had two swords, uh, not a little better balanced, but still pretty hefty. Yeah, and then I was wearing the chain. I was wearing full surgical. I was wearing a surgical rubber bodysuit. Uh, I would pour the sweat out of my boots oh. that they literally <laughs> expected to be efficient. And uh, the chain mail that they made for me, you know, they didn't, they didn't have to find, you know, more balanced, lighter weight stuff uh, available back when we did this 26 or 7 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I forget. Uh, we just had an anniversary a little while ago. But uh, I was 10 six-foot lengths of pipe cut into quarter-inch pieces. 
they never would tell me how much it actually weighed. But yeah. They, you know, they put on 50 or 60 pounds of uh, <laughs> chain mail on, which is, uh, made movement difficult. Yeah. And then I ended up doubling uh, Frank Langella at the end because Dalton didn't trust it. And, uh, you know, so I was doubling Skeletor for the final fight. Huh. And I put together this, you know, He-Man sword versus Skeletor's power staff. And I said, well, I'm going to be in this wardrobe, right? So I, this gives me the ability to wield this staff. Uh, you know, around my head and do, you know, do various separate groups that uh, uh, would make fun look really cool. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And right before we shoot, they go, oh, no, no, wait, this is this is after he's had his transformation. So now I'm uh, wearing a helmet, which means I have no peripheral vision, and I, I really can't see anything below level with my nose, you know, and, and I'm in his boots, which are leather-soled, We've got this uh, oily film all over the set because yeah. of the smoke that they're using. Uh, but worse, I've got this uh, crown on that looks, it's like a cross between moose antlers and the New York skyline. <laughs> so all of the stuff going around my head is now possible. And of course, this all happened, you know, literally almost moments before we were about to uh, shoot. Going oh great before you wrap this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then not change it so much that Dolph won't be able to remember what choreography is. So that's kind of the it, it's it's been less a matter of having to use awful things and more a matter of uh, I know we told you this, but it's, now it's this. I, yeah. uh, I did a I did a movie called Secondhand Lions where. Uh, I did all the flashback swordplay for Michael Caine and Walter uh, Scott. I worked for Walter a bunch of times. Actually, Walter was the coordinator on Masters of the Universe, <laughs> which was great. And uh, they, uh, I trained uh, Christian Kane, who is uh, you know terrific, uh, terrific actor. He uh, he was on uh, Leverage, uh, and uh, now he's on The Librarian. My wife actually worked on Leverage. Ah. Excellent. I played the Butcher of Kiev there. It was fun because I trained it for uh, Second Alliance, and then he recommended me to come in and uh, play this role. And they they needed someone to, uh, it was in season one, to give him his credibility as the biggest badass of the team. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, uh, and so, you know, basically we had this idea that it's two characters that are so evenly matched, nobody could get the advantage. Yeah. And we were, we were working on a, on a location uh, in somebody's kitchen. So we couldn't break anything. Um, so, uh, you know, I had this, uh, you know, I, I was supposed to pull a butcher knife from the, you know, the kitchen block. And, uh, uh, you know, he was, <laughs> I, and I went, well, if I'm the butcher of Kiev, I probably have a distinctive weapon. So I had my buddy make me a cleaver the night before Dave Baker of uh, Hollywood Combat Center. He lives here on the mountain with us. Yeah. He's been making my weapons for years. He made all my weapons for uh, the Queen of Swords over in Spain. But so he made up a cleaver. So I had this cleaver and I bought a butcher knife. And the one piece of choreography was pushing ahead to disarm me with a whisk, a kitchen whisk. That was <laughs> the joke at the writers. But we uh, fought all around the kitchen. It was five phrase fight. Uh, I like to go with phrases and, uh, uh, because it tells a story. You know, and you get to see the you know, how evenly matched we were, and that's what it was. We kept, you know, losing, exchanging weapons, and going back and forth with nobody being able to quite get the advantage of lots of jeopardy for the hero, and then finally rises to the occasion and triumphs. Uh, not unlike the MacGyver 
a fight. Yeah. And it was really cool. And we had a five-place fight. We shot it as a master every time. Not very many actors could do that. Kudos to Christian. But uh, it, was, it was really great. But I trained him for uh, second-hand line. And uh, we had a whole section where uh, you know, I, I, had, I had trained him. Uh, the coordinator, Walter Scott, you know, said, yeah, this is good. This is what the director said he wanted. And, uh, you know, we come, we come to the day, and it's a location where they'll free these girls, you know, from flavors of, you know, it's multiple opponents. And I get there, and I go, this is not what you said it was going to be. You know, I'm thinking <laughs> in my mind, I see there's four cameras, and there's one, you know, on an elevated crane and everything. And then suddenly there's all of these, there's, you know, there's tents, and there's cook fires, and there's extras, and there's camels, and there's just, it's like, and, you know, the, it was choreographed so that uh, he would be working his way through all of these people. Yeah. Uh, and multiple, you know, combinations of two and three, and, uh, et cetera. And then I went, okay. He's not going to be able to do that. He's going to arrive, so everybody has to come to him. I said, give me five minutes. And I said, remember the thing I taught you when we were training? Because what I like to do is give people a, you know, a vocabulary and a structure when I train them. And then we can actually create things on set if we need to. Yeah. <laughs> and it really paid off here because I said, okay, the thing I trained you, this is how we're going to finish. It's going to be a double weapon. Uh, you know, I'll have two swords, you'll have two swords, uh, you know. And just prior to that, you will have gone through your combination as we rehearsed. But in here, you will, as you take care of these three guys, you'll disarm the last guy, which gives you a second sword. Then I'll leap in, and we'll do our thing, and you'll kill me, and that'll be the end. Uh, so we uh, we rehearsed it, and we shot it twice, and we were done. Uh, That's awesome. It's that case of like... Oh my God! You've painted me into a corner, and if I try to make what you had told me it was going to be work, uh, we'll be here all day. <laughs> and instead, uh, we we actually you know finished early because it was a split day, and we're going to go to a night shoot. So, uh, but that's 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 what you can do if you train, and also you kind of go, uh, always have a plan B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's funny, earlier you said uh, in regards to, you know, uh, wielding a, an unusual weapon, you, you made the point that you could basically make anything into a weapon. And I feel like that that's what makes you the perfect anti-MacGyver, <laughs> is that he can make anything into a solution and you can make anything into a weapon. Yeah, actually, it was, it was a great carry, and I kind of wish we had a chance to do it again. Uh, and it was, it was perfect for, uh, you know, the Piedra character, because it you know, the writers were very clever, and unfortunately, uh, they chose the right guy to do it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it was all about, you know, I've got this needle under my fake scar, and I'm going to make a blowgun out of my paper cup that uh, just throws his pee or. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just kind of, yeah, okay, I'll just set my disbelief for that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you again so much for speaking with us today. Um, was was there anything else that uh, you have uh, on the horizon that you'd like to let our listeners know about? Oh, golly. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, I've, uh, I've got a Western trilogy that uh, I'm doing called Blood Trail, and I've got the first two chapters, and I'm uh, trying to finish writing the, the third one and you know, get the funding for it so that I can turn this into a feature. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, there's a couple things on the horizon, but, you know, uh, We'll see. You know, <laughs> I used to say, I still do, I guess. But uh, you know, if promises were riches, I'd be getting diamonds. Uh, 
So we're, <laughs> we're, we're waiting to see how many of the things that are supposedly going to happen, you know, will actually uh, uh, have some substance to it so that I can go to work. Sure. But in the meantime, uh, you know, I, I, I continue to train, I continue to hustle, and I continue to teach, and uh, uh, always looking for a good role and a good project. So keep my name in the wind. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's it really has been a pleasure speaking with you, and I appreciate you sharing your time with hey, us today. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, you know, uh, my cheers and respects to your to your listeners, and uh, I hope they enjoy this. If you ever want to chat again, let me know. Sure. Thanks so much. All Thank right. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we'd like to thank Anthony DeLongis again for sharing so much time with us. Uh, you can look forward to part two of that interview when we get around to reviewing season three, episodes one and two, Lost Love. Uh, this also uh, very unfortunately marks the last illegitimate appearance of Stephen Chang oh, as the beginning. He's so great. He, he brings so much to run. every episode. <laughs> I feel like it's just it's sad to have the beginning is gone. It, mm. He won't come back as this character and no one else comes back to play the beginning at any <laughs> further down the line in the future. Um, anyone confused as to who the beginning uh, is, you yeah. are not alone. Uh, <laughs> the beginning is not a character on the show. Uh, there's a an actor by the name of Stephen Chang. Um, who's who, a martial artist. Yeah, he's a martial artist and appears to be a stuntman based on his IMDb page, who is somehow IMDb credited um, in every episode from Thief of Budapest to this one. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he's not in Pilot or Golden Triangle, but yeah. he's in Thief of Budapest through the Assassin, with the exception, bizarrely, of the Escape. Mm-hmm. Somehow the beginning missed that episode. Um, he actually does appear uh, on the series, um, but not until season three as an actual character. Um, Oddly he, enough, in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he shows up in... Uh, yeah, that, that should have been his name in season three, the middle. Um but he he plays a character in season three, which also um, marks the the reappearance of uh, Anthony DeLongis, who who played Piedra here. Oh, interesting. Um, and uh, it's the first and second episodes of season three. It's like a two part special. Uh, Stephen Chang and uh, Anthony DeLongis come back together for that episode. I don't know why he's credited in all these episodes. He doesn't seem to appear in them unless he's actually like doing a stunt. That was used in the opening credits. Yeah, uh, that's for just the first season. And because the opening credits will change, right, for the right, for the second they do season? change for the second season because we're adding in title cards for Dana Elkar. Mm. Um, but they didn't change between the first or second episode and the third one. Right. With the minor exception of you said if for the pilot episode you see the lab exploding behind the word MacGyver showing up. Right, right, right. Whereas it's just the blackness starting with Golden Triangle. Mm. But there's no reason why he should be missing from Golden Triangle and show up in Thief of Budapest. Yeah, or The Escape. Or The Escape, because yeah. those the opening credits do not change for any of those episodes. But as a result of being falsely credited on IMDb for all of these episodes that he was not in, um, he appears as the third star of the show in a lot of uh, internet listings for the, the show's cast. Like right after Richard Dean Anderson and Dana Elkar, you have Stephen Chang. Mm-hmm. Above Bruce McGill. Above Bruce McGill, above... Uh, Alyssa Davalos and mm. and all these other Terry Hatcher recurring roles yeah. um, because he was just falsely credited as all these <laughs> different characters that he never played um, including Amazon which yeah, is that much more frustrating well I mean Amazon and IMDB are tied together right so and I, they're the same company yeah so I imagine that that's why but it's just still like that no one's corrected it or no one's like submitted a ticket to IMDB saying 
this guy is incorrectly credited as well, being. Well, I'll in. be doing that today. <laughs> and uh, but I suppose we, you ha- do you have to prove it? I mean, do you have to say why? I mean, I don't know, but I I figure we can use this podcast as a sort of platform to launch this initiative that we're going to get Stephen Chang's the beginning credits taken off of IMDb. Oh, he's going to be so mad. That's I'm I'm sorry, Steve, but you got to understand who Jack Dalton is. <laughs> what if we get him as a guest for season three? Oh my gosh, I think we're kind of ruling that out right now. <laughs> Steven, I'm sure you do a great job in season three, and you're a very talented martial artist, for sure, but you did not play the beginning in 19 episodes of MacGyver, MacGyver. and it's time that we rectified it, so we're going we're gonna to take care of this, and if you're listening to this podcast, you know, 50 years from now when it's like required in, in elementary school and right, stuff right. like that, and you notice that he's not on the IMDb page, that, that was our doing. We're the reason that he's no longer there. So I just thought it was important to bring up Stephen Yeah, Chang. good. You know, it's good that you put it, marked we, us for death. <laughs> we uh, we appreciate his work on the series. Um, it's nothing personal. It's just that Bruce McGill is a very important character. Absolutely. The and deserves at least the third, third credit, maybe second. Sorry, Dana. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to kick Pete down. Pete's great. But I'm, even Terry Hatcher should be above Stephen Chang. Come yeah. on. Come on, guys. Yeah. So... Yeah, but I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Yep, oh, and the and season. And the season. Oh my gosh. This is... Uh, season one. Season one in the bag. The, this has been a lot of fun doing this show. Um, I don't know if we even thought we would finish a whole season of it yeah. when we first got started. Yeah, that's pretty, it, it happened so fast. Yeah, it really did. And uh, we're excited at the prospect of continuing for another six. Um, this is one of the longest seasons. I think there's a few that are 22 episodes mm. and then a few that are shorter. And then the last season is like half length. Yeah, it's like it's 14 episodes. Um, but yeah, I think we're up to the challenge and I think uh, we've had a lot of fun. We've been getting more and more uh, responses from listeners and we always appreciate that. Um, if anybody, uh, for future reference, if you want to send over uh, comments or um, thoughts on this episode or future episodes, or past episodes, mm-hmm. um, shoot us a line on uh, our Twitter account is at Opening Gambit. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Phoenix Foundation Podcast. And of course, you can always find us at phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. And we'll be back next week with our uh, with the premiere of season two, The Human uh, Factor. The Human Factor. This is a good one, too. Yeah. So. The guy, man versus the machine. Right. This was before we even realized that the robot war was imminent. Uh, it's so imminent now. Yeah. Like Roberta and Robert were only the beginning. Right. (laughs) MacGyver trained them to hate humanity. They ignored our drink orders. (laughs) They egged our shoes. Now they're coming for us. All right. Well, I think that's about it for season one. I hope you've you've, uh, dug listening to the show. Um, We've we've enjoyed making it for you. And uh, stay tuned for season two starting next week. There will be no, no gap in our delivery. That's right. Because we don't we don't play that game. So, thank you again for listening. Thank you. Mm-hmm.